Hey, everyone. Welcome back to a bonus edition of the podcast. And it is Thursday, what, July 16th. All the days run together at this point. And uh, I have Kelly on the other end down in San Diego. Thanks for doing this podcast, Kelly. Yeah, so excited about it. Super excited for just the different perspectives and the questions that we'll get to run through. Um, See where it goes. So basically, Kelly and I had been talking about doing this for a little while uh, because one of the most asked things that I that people come to me and they're curious about is what is going on with the music at Mission Hills? Uh, what do I think about music at Mission Hills? And uh, just just in general, music related questions. And it's it's a good question, just broadly speaking, because so much of a liturgy or uh, a service where people gather back in the day when we used to gather in person, uh, a good portion of it is congregational singing and music and worship. And people have various uh, you know experiences and backgrounds and what they bring into that space and what thoughts they have when they come into a space and sing together. And so at Mission Hills, you know, we know that people come from all different kinds of denominational backgrounds, spiritual backgrounds. And so there's a lot of questions I think swirling around and have been for the last few years in our community. So Kelly and I wanted to just get on uh, Zoom and do a podcast to kind of just break down some of our thoughts and about music and, and kind of talk about what is what is music like at Mission Hills? Um, what is that process like practically? What's the point of worship? Who's it for? And what happens when we sing congregationally, what are we trying to accomplish there? So uh, that's kind of where a little bit where we're going uh, with this discussion. And then we will take uh, community questions at the end. We uh, got so many good community questions. So thank you all for sending those in. And we are also going to do our top five or at least five songs that should be banned in my opinion, in Kelly's opinion, which is all you really need. Uh, what song should be banned from church? So I'm going to go first. I'm going to give my number one. And I'm going to say, I can only imagine by Mercy Me. Yes. Do you That's give your reasoning? Is that, or do we just leave it at that? Um, if you know, like, let's see. So I know that some people might love this song. It's very beloved. Um my mother, I think, probably likes this song. Mom, if you're listening, you can, you know, tell me later if this offends you. Uh, but yeah, it's like, I don't know. It seems like it pulls on really bad heartstrings. Like it's a bad, like it's like Christmas shoes in my mind. Does anybody know Christmas shoes? Are you familiar with this Christmas song? Mm-hmm. One of the all-time worst Christmas songs. My mother-in-law hates that song. So every time we're around them during Christmas, I'm like, I don't want to buy these shoes. Uh, but anyway, back to I Can Only Imagine. I think it's just it's just brutal. I mean, just brutal, brutal theology. It's futuristic. It idealizes some sense of heaven. It is played at uh, funerals and I think is really cheesy and takes away from the actual sort of significance of a person's life. Uh, it's just all around bad banished i love it yeah um i think for me one of my top ones and again it's a very beloved song i can't tell you how many churches and conferences and youth groups i have sung this song in um oh come to the altar i need 
to have it gone. <laughs> part, and partly it is because of those like personal memories associated with the song and being in spaces and with groups that I knew believed certain theologies, right? Like there's, there's some, there's always like some pieces of these songs that you can pick out and say, well, that's okay. That's that part, that one line, those three words are fine. But then when you take it in context of the entire rest of the song and just everything from the extremely gendered idea of God to this, like, Oh, you, you are so shame ridden. You are so broken. Mm. You better, you better crawl your butt to the altar and just yeah. like starfish basically is what I always imagine in starfish, my head. Yeah. Song. Um, I don't know that song. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a time. Um, yeah. The whole chorus is like, Oh, come to the altar. The father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Christ. And also like so much of Christian music. And I'll get to this later. Like y'all don't rhyme. There's poor grammar. It's bad. Incorrect metaphors and mixed metaphors that don't work. If you really take a look at it, but as long as it sounds good and cohesive, it's fine and becomes top 10 Christian songs of all time. Yeah, that's brutal. Um, so much shame, guilt. You have to have something about their sacrifice. Yes. Uh, something Everyone, about the blood. Yes. Enemy defeated. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so to start us out, uh, maybe just give a little bit of your personal background with uh, church and church music and maybe how you got involved playing worship and kind of maybe some of those early days experiences of leading worship and playing worship in church? Definitely. Yeah. Well, I have grown up in the church ever since I was little. We always went to church as a family, pretty much from kindergarten on, was involved in some sort of kids church, which turned into youth group, which turned into big church. Um, And as someone who was homeschooled and a little bit like strange and outcast growing up. Um, I never really related with the kids my age, especially at church, because a lot of them knew each other from school as well. Um, And so my first place of connection in the church was worship team. Um, And I joined my first worship team as a freshman in high school at a Lutheran church, actually, um, that I had gone to eighth grade there. We had stayed with the community and we helped lead worship for the contemporary services. Um, every now and then I'd help out with all of the hymns and the chorus in the early morning service, the 8 a.m., you know, the really staunchly Christian people, or Lutherans specifically, uh, would attend that service. But we pretty much had a couple people who had like been in rock bands and now we're at the super tiny Lutheran church in Lombard, Illinois, and we would just rock out every single Sunday. I felt so like I I had so much belonging for the first time, especially in a church setting. And it was my Mm. first opportunity to really engage outside of my parents. Um, And then my dad joined worship team. So, you know, it was just part of it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, my whole, my whole faith really became about this Mm. part where I felt so included. Um, And then jumping into Pentecostal, more charismatic church background, and then eventually going more that non-denominational, like modern, like 
contemporary Christian music was pretty much a lot of what I knew. Um, And so in all of those experiences was learning not only just how to sing a song, um, but how to lead worship. Why are we leading worship? What's important as far as you as a worship leader? And a lot of it is like the humility. Remember, it's not about a performance, but for so many worship leaders, it absolutely is. Mm. Um, And how, how do you usher people into the presence of Jesus every single Sunday morning? Um, Worship equaled emotional experience. And Mm. if you did not have that emotional tie where you felt out of body and were just so immersed in God's love and presence, maybe you cried, maybe you shook, maybe you had someone pray over you or prophesy over you. Um, That was like the, the mark of good Christian worship. And you were supposed to leave a Sunday having this high basically that you could ride the rest of the week or at least until Wednesday night small group where when you right. worship again <laughs> right. yeah, and yeah, the yeah. cycle would just continue. And so that's a lot of what I knew and what worship was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't really start deconstructing worship until I de- started deconstructing my faith. Like I, I was not quite as in tune with, some of the things that were being perpetuated through the words that I was singing, how that was informing my understanding of God. Even Um, I did not ask these bigger questions of, well, why is this something that we do every single Sunday? Is it necessary as a Christian? And subconsciously I was understanding is absolutely. Yes. Like if you do not set aside an hour a day, to like listen to worship music while journaling and post on Instagram about it. So people know you're a good Christian who loves Hillsong, <laughs> then you're not making it. God does not delight in you or your worship. Yeah. Uh, and those were the boxes that I yeah. grew up in. Hmm. Um, and I know that not everyone shares that exact experience, but if you've ever been to like a youth conference or like a worship event anywhere, I think there is this expectation that you're going to come away with something by like giving yourself and surrendering yourself into the experience. But ultimately that's not what happens for everyone. And there's often a disconnect, whether it's because of the subject matter, the theology that's being presented. Worship is also like worship music specifically is not everyone's primary, like entering in point into a relationship with God. And so when this thing is put on a pedestal, then it makes even having that kind of intimacy with God almost unattainable unless you enter into it in a certain way. Um, So that's my background as far as coming into worship. And I'll, I'll get into more of the how I got from that into where I am now with it. But hopefully that helps set up a little bit of the... Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's fascinating to kind of get your trajectory from, you know, small Lutheran church to, you know, sort of the Pentecostal mega expression, church, mega church, yes. evangelicalism and bright light song and smoke yeah. fog, all of it. And we can maybe get back to Hillsong, but just as a matter, because uh, I, I mean, if, if people don't know me that well, either, um, when it comes to to music or my background in music, I, you know, grew up in, you know, sort of occasional Southern Baptist circles. So that's like, you know, hymn, like classic hymnal, that kind of thing. Um, so, but I wouldn't be able to tell you names of songs. 
in hymnals. You know, if, if I heard something played, then I'd be like, oh yeah, that kind of reminds me of being in church with my grandma as a kid. And then in high school, started getting into, you know, youth group stuff. And at that time, growing up in Waco, Texas, uh, that was right when a band at the time named David Crowder Band was really big. And like, they were pretty big in like Christian music circles uh, oh, yeah. nationally, but it was like really big that they were like hometown heroes, right? So um, they in one of the best live bands still I've ever seen. Uh, and so the fact that, you know, we got to see them every week was just uh, phenomenal. So that was kind of my, you know, entrance into Christian music and Christian expression. But ne- it was never something that I, um, like I've never had like what you said, an out-of-body experience or um, even anything that I would characterize as like a numinous or um, like maybe a spiritual experience, maybe, but I just don't connect in, in that kind of way with with Christian music and never... Like I'm, I'm such a bad pastor in that way. Uh, I would probably like, so I'm very unqualified to talk about this, which is why we need you <laughs> on the podcast because I have maybe, I have intentionally listened to Christian, like it's probably been since high school, since I've intentionally personally listened to something that would be considered a Christian song. Mm-hmm. I just don't listen to Christian music, uh, never have. Um, an interest in in that expression. So I've listened to a lot of it in churches. I've worked in a ton of churches, you know, mega church world and sort of, uh, you know, Baptist church world was mostly predominantly hymnals or kind of like that mix of contemporary and hymn type thing. Um, and I just don't, I just don't connect to any of those kinds of worlds. But I do remember working at a mega church and, uh, you know, they would do like an hour set of yes. worship music. And it There's was like, what, it was like what you're describing. I mean, it's like light show. It's, you know, 10 people on stage, super talented musicians, great singers. And I remember just like, I would just watch people around me, like looking like as if they were having these out of body experiences. And my thought would be, what is going on? <laughs> like, what, what are they feeling and experiencing that I, like, it, it's like, I don't speak the language. Right. Um, and so that's always been kind of my relation, personal relationship with Christian music or worship music, maybe in particular, is I I don't really get it at an experiential level. Uh, and then we can talk about, um, you know, the theological holes that exist in a lot of uh, contemporary Christian music, but also, you know, some of the most beloved hymns have are riddled riddled with theological problems, but maybe we could just start, um, at, you know, one of the questions that you came up with, which is like, what is the point of worship? Like, how do you see that in church now or specifically Mission Hills? Definitely. And I think it kind of intertwines with a couple of the other questions of, especially why do we do it congregationally? Um, and for me, that is an entry point into tradition. There's something about gathering together into a tradition, a ritual of singing, um, of holding space for each other and for God that I think is really beautiful. I don't think that that necessarily has to exist in the single strand of worship as music. I think there's so many more possibilities, and I honestly think that it's through a lack of creativity that we've kind of stayed in the single lane as capital C Church um, on the whole. And we see even in the Bible, people 
like the author of Psalms, writing all of these beautiful poetry and songs to glorify and question and lament. And I think there's something to that, um, but I, I don't think that that's necessarily where we've landed on a whole, where it's become this concert. It's become this, well, my hands are higher than everybody else's, so that must mm-hmm. mean I'm a good Christian. Right. Uh, I have a lot of, I have so much wrapped up in those words of like, what is a good Christian? Why, why do we want an A plus or a gold star? Anyway, that aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, a lot of the point is that holding space, that there is a curiosity that something holy and sacred can happen in a space when we are gathered together, when we're singing. And for some people, it is having that emotional connection, whether it's to mm-hmm. a memory or something about hearing music and just kind of forgetting everything else for a minute gives them space to be vulnerable, um, whether it's trying to be in conversation with God or opens them up to uh, being with other people. I think there's there's something to that. There's a reason why we've sung songs congregationally for so many years. Um, as far as like who it's about, I would argue that a lot of folks maybe disregard that is it is acting as a self object for people just as much as it is an act of worship to God or about God or about something bigger than themselves. Um, which I think is the why singing congregationally is also important. It's connecting you to something outside of yourself so that you do not feel maybe as alone in your faith or in your questioning or your doubts. Um, so I think like those are some of the strings that begin to weave together into a worshipful space. Um, I think we'd be naive to say that it's just about God. Cause if it was, I don't think we'd have a lot of the like, you know, just dis- discussion around what makes worship good or all of that. I think it would just be baseline like, well, one person raised a voice and right. God called that good. Um, so what does that bring up for you? Yeah, I mean, your comments really do bring up kind of uh, like thinking about what what is the point or or even from my perspective, I think holding space is a great um is a great function of that, uh, that you're, you're recognizing artistically, uh, an expression of your, um, community's theology or hints and guesses at what that might sound like or feel like in a space. So there is just an aspect of doing that with a group of people that is, um, just powerful in and of itself, just from a human perspective of, you know, singing with other people or being in a room where a bunch of people are singing. I mean, we know that even just from, from concerts, like there's a benefit to like going to a concert, a secular concert, any concert with a group of people and singing the songs congregationally, like that has a psychological uh, benefit of like, it's expressing something about what it means to be human, to listen and to sing together uh, live in person. So I think holding space in that way, I also think theologically, um, without even critiquing the, the words or the theology of different songs, there is something about, um, having a, uh, embodied experience of being in a place where music is being played or sung 
whether by you or other people, it's saying something about what it means to be human is to to have a body and to have a voice and to to be here and now with like your your physical person and your presence. So I think there's an aspect of that which is um, whether it's intentional or conscious is a good function of any I think healthy liturgy which is involving a variety of different embodied experience, whether it's like the tearing of the bread and dipping it into wine or singing together or having conversation. Uh, I think it's a good expression of that as well. So that's kind of what your comments made me think of. Absolutely. Yeah. And even to be able to sacrifice an hour of your time to do that, if that is something that you feel like is not, not even necessary, but just a part of your faith practice, I would I would not say like, if you don't ever worship congregationally, you're a bad Christian. Um, Because again, there's so many different expressions of this self object that can be done in different ways. Um, And I honestly, I would encourage people to find ways that they can experience faith on an individual level outside of a congregation because of that, because you're never going to get what you are hoping for or expecting exactly out of a church service, right? Right. That's just, it's not physically possible to check all 50 people's boxes of what worship is going to feel like or be like um, or give you or take from you. It's just not going to happen. However, if it's truly about learning like what it means to be human and then what it means to be human in relationship to others, to a divine, well, then that, that work has to be put in somewhere. And I would argue that you can't do all of that work in a single hour on a Sunday kind of thing. And, you know, that's something you and I have talked about before is, um, you know, how as a church community, can you experience, um, a gathering or the liturgy as a unfolding piece of art? And instead of, um, a transaction where people, um, you know, come into church during a set time during the week. And it's like eating at a restaurant. You, you know, you go to eat at the restaurant, you expect the food to come out promptly to be, uh, warm to your liking. And if it's not, you know, you, you'll let the, the waiter or waitress know about that. And how do we re-understand church as, um, art and an expression of a gift, a, an expression of just one gift. Like it's not, it's not perfect. And, you know, we, we had talked earlier about, uh, you know, if, if Kelly came over to my house to eat, um, you know, not during the pandemic, it would be really weird if she offered to pay me at the end of the night, because that's not the relationship or the dynamic of inviting somebody over to your house and, and giving them the gift of like a well-cooked meal. Um, that the expression of the gift is that, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, maybe, or maybe not, uh, you know, Kelly invites me over to, to her cool apartment in San Diego and, you know, make, makes a meal, whatever that looks like. Like the relationship that we have, I think we have to almost re-understand the relationship that we have with experiencing, uh, a gathering or, uh, the, the expression of worship of what does it mean to look like, to look at it like it's, it's a gift. It's, it's, it's one expression of art in one moment in time. Um, and it's definitely going to be 
um, imperfect, or like you say, it's not going to check all the boxes. Um, but that's not the, that shouldn't be, I think the function of, um, a liturgy or a gathering or the function of a worship set or a group of songs. Um, but I guess kind of maybe off of that, what, what are you thinking, um, as the, you know, the worship leader at Mission Hills, like, what are you thinking when you're developing a group of songs that you're going to play live? Yeah, there's, I think, so many pieces that should go into that discernment process of what it looks like. And I have taken some time to write out, like, what are all the questions that go through my head? Sometimes it goes so quickly now where I'll just be able to kind of work through, all right, like, these are the songs that I know from this selection, here are the questions that kind of help guide me to where I end up on a Sunday. Um, and so usually where I start is figuring out like, okay, so who, who's in the room? Who is our congregation? That matters a lot to then what we sing, why we're singing it. Um, so do the songs actually represent said congregation whether that's the style of worship whether that's the season we're in like i'm not going to sing a bunch of praise songs in the middle of a pandemic when all we feel are questions of how the hell are we going to get out of this like i'm filled with all these doubts hopefully we're kind of inviting more of that space and allowing that space to exist rather than being like, all right, check everything at the door or at the, you know, zoom waiting room and then come in and be ready to just bring your praise dance. Like that's all we want to see. We don't want to see your imperfections. We don't want to see your shitty week. Like we don't want any (laughs) of that here. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. How we do it at mission Hills worship lies. Don't, don't believe that. Um, And then also, like, for people who are just coming from such a diverse belief um, and are in different points of their process of deconstruction, um, one worship song might be really fulfilling for someone here, but also might be extremely triggering for another. So how do you walk that line? How do you understand the content of the songs? Um, So I always tend to ask the question of, like, is it theologically open rather than narrow in its understanding, whether it's of atonement, of who God is, all of those other things that you can bring. Like, I would love for them to all be theologically sound as far as my personal understanding, but really, if I can find songs that are more theologically open, um, that will hopefully create that space for people. Um, Yeah, that's that's a great point. Like, and I think, I mean, especially for a place like Mission Hills, where we value queer inclusion in the church. We value the work of anti-racism. We value taking care of creation and not, you know, placing a mandate over it. Um, We want to make sure that the people who are creating these worship songs um, fall in line with some of those ideals. And you're not going to get that across the board. Uh, It's actually like, it's interesting. I think I, I can find a decent number of statements or at least statements that show me what they believe about LGBTQ inclusion, Hmm. but very rarely will there be statements from artists around anti-racism or uh, like creation care. And so those are a lot harder to kind of find where people land. Um, And also like, do people know it? I have a very strange eclectic group of worship songs that I know that I love and value, but also that's not going to be true across the board. 
Right. And I don't want to introduce like eight new songs in a month when that's going to be extremely isolating for a lot of people who don't feel like the, they can connect to worship experience at all. Right. Um, but also I know that I'm limited in my understanding of worship. And so my binder, as big as it might seem to me, is only encapsulating like one millionth of all possible right. worship songs that I could choose. Yeah, um, and that's, that's a great point because we know that so much of people's enjoyment or experience of worship is, I don't want to say a hearkening back, but it's like, it's almost, it's like a nostalgic participation in what it means to go to church. Like, um, I, I think I've had a conversation with my grandma at some point of like, uh, you know, her saying something like, you know, when I go to church, like, I just want to hear the songs that I know. And I think you're bringing up that interesting point of, um, you know, how do you, how do you push forward and, and develop new ways of talking, singing about God or um, new modes of worship, or even people that are writing good music uh, that align with the values of Mission Hills? How do you bring in those voices without um, it being so new or off-putting when we know that a lot of people just enjoy, uh, you know, the songs that they know, the familiarity of like what church feels like um, to different people, which is going to be different because people, we know that we have people that come from all different kinds of backgrounds and what church feels like to them is very different, which is why I always say that, uh, I, I really seek to, um, you know, fail everybody's expectations. Like, (laughs) You're not, across the board. I'm just going to make you completely unhappy at Mission Hills, and then and then we'll just start from there. So uh, that's my strategy. So, but yeah, that just I just thought of that because so much of what you're saying is um, those practical aspects of like what you're thinking about when you're developing a set list. There's so much that goes into that, but I'm not sure people um, always consider if they haven't like planned a, a set. Totally. And unfortunately, especially within Christian music, a lot of it, there's so many things that happen. One example in mind that got brought up when Josh introduced the question of like, how do we make church and church music less white and especially less like white centric? Um, Because even so someone like Sinak, who is a Nigerian uh, worship leader. She's absolutely amazing. She's the one who wrote the song Waymaker. She was the original one to produce it. And then a group like Leland or Chris Tomlin will do that song. It'll get really big. And then people will associate some of these really good worship songs with these white male singers because they're the ones that are getting the fame for it. That's fascinating. So like, that happens wow. all of the time. And some of the most like famous even gospel songs have had that happen to them. Um, And so there is absolutely a whitewashing of worship music um, and people having that like, oh, I really want to sing this song, but not even knowing the history that's coming with it. Um, And I, as a white woman who grew up in a specific kind of voice training, don't even have the vocal capability to lead gospel in the way that it should be led and like should be heard. And so even the question of like, okay, then how do we specifically as Mission Hills represent our congregation and the diversity that comes with it and people who grew up in 
singing gospel all the time, how do we then bring in that experience um, without just putting a poster and saying like, right. look at us now we're rebranding. Yeah. It's, it's, that's a really fascinating point because it's, it's taking something that is problematic uh, in the industry of Christian music, which is uh, whitewashing these songs written by, uh, you know, diverse people and saying, okay, well, Chris Tomlin will sing. It's like, how do we avoid just even as Mission Hills from sort of appropriating that same type of thing where it's, uh, okay, Kelly is a white woman and she's now going to sing gospel two Sundays a month. Right. You know, it's kind of, it's maybe not as severe, but it's, it's kind of the same uh, problem. Yeah. So I think then the question is, okay, then if this is not even if like, this is a thing, right. That we should pay attention to, then how do we do that in a way that does not um, appropriate nor, um, you know, put people up as like, then the, the one gospel singer that we're going to force, like, you know, taking that spot. Um, right. But then how do we do it in an ethical way and also make sure that we are truly representing because in this current moment, are we representing the full spectrum of people's worship experiences? No. Um, could we do more to hopefully engage that to a better degree? Sure. I would love that. Um, will we ever do it perfectly? No. And that's why that's even part of our opening liturgy of right. like, we know that this is going to be an imperfect space, but at the same time, like, yeah, these are things that we can call out. So. Yeah. Yeah. We open every service with kind of saying, uh, you know, your expectations are not going to be met uh, here. Pretty great. But, but I do think, yeah, uh, just to, you know, set the bar real low to start the service. Uh, but I do think your point earlier, um, at least the image of being theologically open or theologically rounded in, in a space or in a gathering is a really helpful language to, to think about that because it's um, it at least gives people an idea of, hey, the, our approach to this, while it might be imperfect, it is open. Um, and yeah. I think that is... Um, hopefully helpful. Like one of the things, you know, like about Mission Hills and probably most people listening to this know about Mission Hills is that um, most people that find their way to Mission Hills have, are either going through a deconstruction or have gone through a deconstruction, which can really alter the way people hear music or um, participate in a worship service. Uh, cause they could be constantly deconstructing the lyrics in their mind while the, s- the songs are being played. Um, or they have adopted just, in, you know, diff- different, uh, theological assumptions. And so, um, they could either be thinking, well, like, I disagree with all these songs that are being sung, or, uh, I just don't view God like any of this that is being sung. So how do you think about, uh, worship? In, the, in a context like Mission Hills, where so many people are either are going through or have been through a deconstruction? I didn't include this in my uh, sermon for Sunday, but it was a quote that I found uh, from Michael Gunger, who is a Christian musician who has gone through deconstruction, like has an awesome podcast. And he pretty much like sparked a whole feud about this but he quoted it and said i would love to hear more artists who sing to god and fewer who include a father murdering a son in that endeavor 
and you can't think of anything to say to God other than gratitude for taking your shame away through bloodshed. Stop singing and look around. Like that is his whole thing. Um, I'm sure you can read more about it and find it if you're that curious. But I think that's a great point of like, even within the worship music, there's so many limitations. And as someone who writes, I think that my hope is that we will enter into a space where there'll be more available worship music that includes some of that space for deconstruction um, and allows people to kind of be at different points rather than holding necessarily certain beliefs. And then if you don't believe those things, you either feel extremely excluded, you don't belong, or you're stuck in this process of just constantly deconstructing things. And one of the things that I noticed, especially in a space like Mission Hills, is that we might sing a song with really embedded theology, but then we'll jump into a discussion where we're opening all of that up, right? And so we still want the worship music to fall in line, and we all, at the same time don't want to completely abandon it either. Um, so I think for my hope is like, it's that whole kind of fake it till you make it a little bit until there's more available. Um, how do you still create that space in worship? Um, and part of it, I think, is in like disclaimers of, hey, like this worship song specifically, like something like uh, our, our Good Good Father. Like it has used language that has been harmful uh, for some folks. It no longer aligns with some folks' understanding of who God is. So one thing that we've done to at least get us a little bit closer to maybe where we're at is to change the language, um, is to use more inclusive pronouns. Great. Like, does that take it all the way? No, it doesn't. Um, But it's at least making these steps so then we can enter into a discussion of like, where is the disconnect happening? Where maybe do we need to still see change and make change happen. Um, I'm grateful to be a part of a group of worship leaders across the U.S. who are doing that process and are trying to provide that space and who are far more uh, talented and experienced than I am. Um, So I get to learn from a lot of what they're doing. Um, But it is, it's such an interesting place to hold and it definitely entails a lot more than just playing a couple of chords on a piano and then hoping hoping for the best. Yeah. So what is, what are the reactions that you get when in different spaces you've changed uh, to more inclusive pronouns or just generally like more inclusive language or open language to use your phrase with the theology? Do you get mixed reactions from that? It's definitely mixed. Some folks are so excited to hear a song that they grew up with in a new context with new language that they're like, wow, like I didn't have to abandon it completely. Like it goes back to the metaphor that I used of like, you have this quilt um, and you've maybe like, you've been tugging up the strings, you've been undoing it. Now you have this pile. You can still use that same stuff to rebuild, um, to recreate a new quilt. That's maybe more to your liking or belief. Um, You haven't abandoned it completely, but at least you have this new space. But then other people are like, how dare you? Like, just leave it as it is. Like, it's it's a part of our history. And at least it's marking maybe somewhere for us and then where we've come from. Um, or they just have such an emotional connection to the song. 
Because I, I get a lot more reactions when I just don't include something that people grew up with, especially hymns. Um, and I love being able to tradition. I'm also going to be very, very careful about how we do that. Um, and even some of our favorite hymns like aren't perfect, whether it's right. omitting a certain verse of it or whatever. But. Yeah. Somebody, I can't remember who was recently was saying, you know, we really have to ask the question uh, if we still want to be singing hymns that uh, slave owners sung. Yeah. Very big, very important question uh, because, yeah. Listen, Kelly, don't cancel my hymns. It's just the cancel culture. We knew you had to bring Trump in here at, one, at least had once. To, of course. Had to. Um, <laughs> Okay, so because anything can transition with the Trump voice, um, what other like questions do you, um, as a worship leader, think about when approaching not only just uh, a particular you know Sunday service, but just in general, like where you hope to see Christianity go in terms of worship music? going forward. What, what is your thought process kind of on that? I think my question remains of like, where, where does then worship like land people, whether it's at the end of a service or like the end of a particular set, like where is that ultimately going to get people or keep them or it might like, and that's not something that's in my control. It's not like, oh, haha, like I really want people to deconstruct this particular word at the end of the set. Um, that's not the intent. It's more just asking, like, where is worship going to evolve that it allows us to continue, continually challenge and explore um, how how we exist? Like, how do we right. be as a person who holds this belief system that exists in this specific community, um, whether that's like Mission Hills or the Christian church or religion, whatever it may be, like, what is it, where is it bringing us? Where is it landing us at the end of the day? Um, And I think that a lot of folks might be even scared to add their own voice into that process of worship because it has become something of pop culture of like it's this performance and it does have to be perfect you have to get to this level whereas i think that there's so much more that can come from whether it's music as that object or art as a whole um Mm -hmm. that can be used of like as a source of prayer as a source of lament and an expression of grief and all these things uh and I really, I don't think that there has been enough space to allow a person to kind of use worship or use music um, to that end, but instead has kind of kept it to this, like, it's got to be praise. It's got to always be about Jesus. It's mm. got to use these words. It's got to hit these marks in order Ooh, for yeah. it to count. Yeah. Um, and I love that folks were bringing up like, well, actually, secular music is maybe more closely aligned to where we are. And something that threw me off completely uh, when I was working at Urban Village was that they would sing, they called it church karaoke, which like maybe a a bit of a question mark on that uh, title. But yeah, they would take a secular song and they would introduce it and be like, well, 
the song is about all you need is love and that love might look different for folks but like ultimately at the end of the day what are we seeking as someone who is a christian we're seeking love we're seeking mercy we're seeking justice so like let's sing all you need is love right can that be an expression of worship i would think so i haven't done it in like mission hills context because i i at least from what I knew coming into the the role was that wasn't necessarily something that had been played around a whole ton, but I know that you've done that in the past. I think you had a whole service of like, just forget what it was particularly, but yeah, I I don't even remember, but it was definitely, but I think like back to your point, because yeah, I, I identify with uh, like secular music or, or it's such a dumb distinction but anyways people know what i'm talking about um of like your point of saying like well how does this worship or how does this music function in our lives and i think to you know bob had a question that was kind of along the same lines which is like you know could a secular song to use the term um function well or align with the values of mission hills uh better than a worship song i think absolutely um for all the reasons that we've talked about, I think worship songs can be helpful. Um, but, it, but I do think the good question is how does it function in the life of the community? And how does, like you said, you're not going to be able to lead somebody to a particular place. Like you're not, the goal is not emotional manipulation or trying to, or theological right. manipulation, even though in evangelicalism, it, it often does perform that function. It's, I almost see, at least in my experience of some of the evangelical worship, um, sets that I've services. I don't know uh, what you call them, but uh, they are a form of emotional manipulation. Um, There's not a a lot of like theological richness to it. And um, it leads people, I think, to a form of escapism, right? So it's, it's, it tends to be like, well, like you said, as long as you use the right uh, terms, I think is what you said, uh, then it like counts. Right. And in that sort of space of emotional manipulation, it often is like, oh, well, Jesus did this thing, he paid the price or like had this sacrifice and you are supposed to feel so so much gratitude for something, you know, like you had talked about atonement theory last week in your sermon, that then it is, it is about going to heaven. It is about escaping this world. It's like, okay, well, those those values, okay, we can very clearly say at least the, stereotype of that that worship song uh doesn't super align with mission hills values or what we would hope to communicate okay we we need to not uh to to your point use that kind of music or that kind of language to lead people somewhere or um leave people somewhere and i think your approach strikes me as an artist or a songwriter really well, because it's basically saying, well, like a group of songs um, that you put together is, is itself an expression of art whenever you develop a set list. And I'm not trying whenever I put together personally a set list, I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. Um, I'm trying to, to leave them like whoever's going to listen with a feeling or an experience of the mystery of whatever the songs kind of convey. And I think that even in kind of your, your open approach is a helpful way to, to look at 
maybe the potential for worship music at Mission Hills is um, it is the goal is to align as closely with the, you know, what we would hope to communicate at Mission Hills about who God is. It's also trying to capture a wide spectrum of human experience and emotion. So like you had mentioned, most Christian songs, or at least a lot of the popular ones that I'm aware of are about praise and how great is our God, right? That's a popular one. It's a classic. Um, it's all about how big God is and how powerful God is and how awesome God is. And we rarely have songs about the vulnerability and suffering. And you mentioned grief of what it is to be human. And even something that we talk a lot about at Mission Hills is we know that in any given day and any given Sunday, like whenever we have a pe- people come together, our community is experiencing the full range of human emotion and experience. Some people are having the worst week of their lives. Other people are having the best week of their lives. Um, And so how do you hold space in a worship set for that range of human experience and emotion? Please solve that for me. (laughs) I don't know. You know, I mean, those are the kinds of things I think are good questions that at Mission Hills, you and I try to think about at least. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I have to very least be aware of where maybe we are succeeding in that and also other areas that we can grow into that. I think just as a base level of being able to like humbly admit that what I bring on a Sunday is again, not going to check all of those boxes for every single person, but at least is an offering or hinting at of where we hope to be as far as holding one another and truly acting and, and preparing space as a community. Um, I think there's kind of something to that. And I think what I've, learned especially having been in those spaces where it's you're trying to only funnel this certain energy in worship is that you cannot selectively numb feelings at all that's not how that works you can't selectively numb experience with god um you can try but ultimately you're either going to numb everything or you're going to feel all of the things and personally I would rather feel all the things. Um, but right. then as far as an outlet, um, yeah, you can't, you can't funnel that in one direction. Um, and I think especially with the question of like shame and guilt that just comes up so much is that I, I love like Brene Brown's differentiation between guilt and shame where it's pretty much like guilt is saying like, I did this one bad thing, but shame is like, I am the bad thing. Right. Right. And ultimately like, that is what I feel like worship music has subconsciously consciously taught folks. And then if that's what you're coming away from a service in, like ultimately, how is that informing the rest of your life? How then are you going to listen to other music? Right. Like it's always going to be a certain lens. Um, Mm. So then if we can open some of that up and start tugging at the box, um, then hopefully folks will have a little bit more room and won't feel so suffocated by what their worship experience has been. Because to go back to the point, like folks who specifically end up at Mission Hills are going to be people who are either in deconstruction or post-deconstruction or are have already been around the cycle a few times. Um, right. So 
it's harder than we thought. Yeah, and, and and not always. Like we know that there are you know several people that go to Mission Hills that that don't have that experience and right. and love music or love Hillsong or love Bethel. Um, Bethel's another popular one, right? Um, yes. Who also happens to still have conversion therapy, so. Don't forget what people. Trying to stay away from. <laughs> uh, it's so brutal. Um, but again, like I'll yeah. stumble upon a song by like a smaller group and like love, love it, fall in love with it. And be like, yes, like this is such a good song. And then find out that it was just a cover of a Bethel song. Dang. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, Fascinating. so much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we'll transition into, uh, into community questions, but is there anything else that you're kind of, thinking of that um, in regards to, to music that you would want to have people that like come to Mission Hills know about your approach to music? I think just being able to balance, like having a critical eye towards it, but also being willing to let some of that go in any like given Sunday. Hmm. Like I think there's something so important about being aware of what we're singing but then also recognizing that like some of this stuff is like, we just do not have the right words yet to describe even who God is to us. And so sometimes there is going to be that breakdown and we're using what we have, but um, yeah, yeah, I think it's also it is co-collaborative. Right. And so yeah. if there's something that you've been dying to sing and think that it at least hits on some of the things that, you know, work well within Mission Hills values and experience, then I'm all ears. And we want that to be a, a space for folks t- that they feel like they can be a part of. Yeah, that's a great point. Cause it really is at its best. I think you and I would both hope that it's an, it's always in process and that, you know, we've, we've never arrived. And I think one of the criticisms that, that I've gotten, you kind of mentioned it earlier um, with music is okay. Well, uh, the song, the song or one song in the service said this, and then you in your sermon said this, which is, does not go together. And yeah. while I take that, well, I take that criticism. I, I also kind of wanted to acknowledge that, yeah, that is going to continually happen. Um, like we're always, whenever we speak of God, like we're, we recognize that we're always speaking less of God, that God, God is a, a name for the indescribable mystery of all things and existence. Like we're always just like grasping at whenever we try to describe God, we're always describing just, we're just not quite describing God properly. So even when we think about conflicting understandings of and ideas and the way we talk about God, yeah, from week to week, you or I will say different things in a sermon or in conversation about God that, you know, if they don't outright conflict, they might paint a different picture of the divine. And I think the same goes for music, that it's always it's always grasping at something that you you will never obtain and holding some space and humility, hopefully as a community is an approach that we can take to that. I think exactly to your point, that's not to say that you're not critical, but it's critical in a different way. It's critical in that open space of of realizing that a community is bringing a lot of different understandings about who God is. You're never going to fully be able to characterize God. If, If you think you're characterizing God correctly, you might want to 
rethink your positions on things. Um, and so I think as a community, that's the best that we can do is to, to be critical and in that critique, realize that we too have, have also never arrived or, or won't ever arrive. But we keep, we keep pushing, if not forward, we continue to go deeper. I like that analogy of, of thinking like um, whenever we have the conversation around conservative and progressive uh, churches, there's usually that spectrum that people kind of see themselves on. It's like, I was conservative, now I'm progressive, or I've always kind of been, you know, a center left kind of person. You're like, that's great. Um, but we at Mission Hills, we want to talk about depth. And I think whenever you go into the depth of things, you create a lot more space for people generally. Definitely. Um, so I think that might be a way to, to kind of think about our approach as well. Yeah, I love should, that. Should we get into community yes. questions? Do it. All right. I think them we've kind of touched on, but mm -hmm. yeah. it's roll through. Okay, so Jason, Jason from Burbank asks... Okay, I won't do the voice. Uh, Jason from Burbank asks, uh, why in general as Christians do we only equate worship songs with songs labeled worship? Which might be a helpful distinction. Kelly, what is the difference between a worship song and a Christian song? Is it just, oh. the, dire is it just the direction? Like I would you're singing say, to yeah. God? Yeah, so there's a lot within worship music of like, there's the vertical relationship. There's the horizontal relationship, right? So you're just always like, these are such simple and like small ideas of like within worship music, it's either a song that's like you and God kind of thing. It's all about that relationship or it's about like God informing you. And then this is how you're supposed to be in relationship to other people. Um, so there's like that vertical, there's the horizontal. I think it's, interesting like a difference between just christian songs versus worship songs where it's like what's the point of it um worship songs what immediately comes to mind is the like hands up uh you know coming before god exalting god kind of thing whereas a christian song might be more about like what is life like as a christian that's where i see like the toby max of the world entering oh, where it's like yeah you know you know what i see but i think what also Jason's getting to is like, why can't we call someone like Bob Dylan or Coldplay? Like, why can't we experience that as worship music without necessarily having it called worship music? And it's that explicitness um, of like, does it mention God and Jesus in these specific ways? When I was in, yeah. When I was in high school, uh, the popular uh, non-Christian song to use as a worship song was Lifehouse's Everything. Good. You're everything. You're yep. everything. Yeah. Yep. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but that was. Oh, I am. Oh, I am. Have or you... the songs where you're like, I don't know if this is about a girl or about God, but it's both maybe. So right. we'll use it. There was a there was a wave in that that era, um, you know, early two thousands, maybe to like two thousand eight, which is kind of the the end of my ability to reference anything uh, Christian. Is uh, that that middle line that you're talking about of like there's no explicit references to God, so it's just use on everything. So you could just fill in the blank in your mind whether the you being sung about is God or you know your girlfriend. So. 100%. And that's how you got 
crossover play back in the day, right? Because you could get sold in Christian bookstores with yeah. those kinds of like the open language of you, your everything. Yeah. You could get you could get sold in um, I don't know what's a Christian bookstore, Mardell, and you could also yeah. be sold at Family Christian Bookstore. Yeah, Family Christian Bookstore. Oh, I forgot about that. I used to work in a Christian bookstore in Hawaii, but we won't talk about that. We'll save that for another podcast. It's good story. <laughs> but we sold uh, CDs back in the day. CDs, DVDs. Oh books, yeah, all the stuff. You got like all the right. posters too. All the good stuff. Posters. We didn't sell posters, but we did sell a bad, cheesy Christian T-shirts, like the ones that said they were like, like good. Reese's, but it said Jesus instead of Reese's. Good. Yes, all of those. Yeah, uh, I should have got. Com- I should have got commission for how many of those I sold. Okay, so Jason has. Let's move through these. Uh, all right, Jason has an interesting question. We kind of touched on this, but he says, uh, you know, Coldplay's influence on modern worship in the early two thousands. I think. Uh, I think he's spot on there, but where do we see the next influence of worship music coming from? Do you have any opinions on that? That's a fantastic question. And I think I'll have to take more time with it. I think one thing that I found really interesting, kind of just watching the younger generation of like Christians and what's becoming popular is that there's this huge jump in like electronic Christian music and like Christian rap and all of that to make it into something that's like more culturally a norm, I guess. And so kind of goes back to like what Bob was talking about, that there are these cycles of how culture informs worship, worship informs culture. I would hope that where we move towards is having more of that, like queer inclusive understandings of God to have, less of these like super like bloodshed all of that worship and just explores more of the sacredness of life and like what you're saying earlier of how it means to be human um because i think there's a lot of room there that has not yet been explored but yeah yeah that's interesting and i i actually don't have um i don't know if i have an answer to this question because i'm not sure um, I listen to enough worship music to to have a good answer to this, but it is interesting to kind of to kind of imagine. And I I would just say in general, it seems to me as somebody who's attended church for the better part of the last decade or so, um, that pop music generally has had a tremendous impact on on worship styles. Um, it it is it is very yeah. poppy. Uh, like one thing about contemporary Christian music or worship music, um, they all have like a hook. Like they, they all have like a pretty uh, singable melody. So it seems to me that that mirrors uh, just general pop music pretty well. So I don't know if that kind of continues to, to kind of play itself out or if kind of the uh, democratization of music via Spotify and online platforms kind of diffuses that a little bit. So as we continue to move away from kind of, really popular music in kind of the top 40 sense where everybody listens to the same thing. Now, all of us, we can listen to whatever we want, whenever we want. So it'll be interesting to see if that um, has an indirect influence on Christian music being more diverse and less popified and sold that way. Yeah. And even in that, I wonder if there'll be a shift from some of those 
simpler songs that are meant to be more congregational and singable, especially in like a mass group of people towards more intricacy in both style and then also experience. Um, We might see a lot more of that very specific understanding of a relationship with God um, versus something that's like very repetitive, very easy to catch on to. Like a lot of those simple melodies are built for super congregational worship. Right. That's a great point. That, and that might be kind of a, a discussion that we can have as a community at another time. But that's that's an interesting aspect of like worship music is typically pretty simple. So it can be it can be a sing along like you mentioned right. uh, karaoke earlier. It's it is it has performed that that function, I think, a lot of times in churches. Uh, so yeah. what does it look like to to have somebody play a piece of music um, that is kind of complex and is more difficult to to sing along to and it's just the experience of listening to it and feeling what the person who's offering the music is experiencing or what they might be hinting at in in the in the expression of music i think that's kind of an interesting thing it kind of made me think about because i know you're a fan of towers yeah and would they are they considered christian music i know that they were they used to be worship leaders at a church um but I don't know if I would characterize their music as worship or a Christian, or maybe some of it is. I don't know. What do you think? I think it walks that line really well. And actually one of their songs, I would consider my favorite worship song. And actually it is about the idea of Good Friday, which is now interesting just in my place in deconstruction. But the way that they speak of it is one, really beautiful, but two, you really have to think and you really have to listen in order to see like what they're getting at. It's not so explicit in the like King of Kings, Lord of Lords, whole spiel. Um, but it plays a message of like, hmm. I tried to get to you and then you came to me instead. And um, these are the things that happen and just exploring like a vision of Good Friday rather than an emotional response to it, if that makes sense. Um, So it paints the picture very differently, but yeah, I I would be really interested to even hear what their perspective would be on kind of the the music that they've written. Yeah. And it seems to me that they're, they're a band um, that has, has walked that line really well and has a, I don't know. It would be interesting to hear their, what their demographic of who their audiences are. Cause it seems to me, uh, at least when I listen to their music, I don't listen to it and think it's explicitly Christian. Um, right. And I bet that they have, I would imagine they would have a ton of p- appeal just for people appreciating their songs for what they are and not for what they're trying to accomplish or teach. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot, it is a lot more open yeah. in that sense. So. Yeah. They're good towers. If we'll post a link in the show notes, if, if no one's listened to their stuff before. Um, okay, so Bob from Granada Hills asks, who chooses the music and what is the choice based on? Uh, Kelly chooses the music, and I think we pretty much answered what what the choice is based on. Um, and also, maybe this is something that, you know, kind of is an aside, but to think about Emission Hills is um, we've had a, a variety, like music Emission Hills has always been 
chosen by the the worship leader. And so Kelly is obviously the worship leader now. Uh, but we've had Lauren and Hayden and Ryan Moore, all for different seasons, all very different, uh, all very different individuals from different denominational backgrounds that sing different songs that come with their own sort of like styles and just backgrounds of what they enjoy playing. And so it's always been my personal, um, I don't know if you'd say philosophy, but approach just to say, um, whoever the worship leader is, um, I, I put a lot of trust into that person to like, I trust and know that Kelly is selecting the songs and, aligns with the values of mission Hills and knows the like theological spectrum. Like you had mentioned earlier, Kelly, like who's the audience, who's the community that's probably going to be gathered. What is the, what is sort of the, the mission or, um, the overarching, um, goals of mission Hills as a community, a community that cares about social justice and, um, wants to hold space for people that, are recovering from church experiences, all those kinds of things that we know about Mission Hills. Um, anybody that's led worship at Mission Hills for a time um, knows the community well, loves the community well, and um, identifies personally with the values of Mission Hills. So mm-hmm. I think whenever I think about you, it's like, well, you align so well with the mission and the values of our community, you love this community so well. and um, like we like trust you as a community to select those songs and to like share a gift with us every week. And so that's kind of how I think about it in my approach. Yeah. And I'm one really grateful for that. And I think when I came into mission Hills, there was this sigh of relief that I did not feel the weight of the same bar that I'd had in other church settings. Um, that there seemed to be a little bit more flexibility and openness just as far as what that could look like. Um, and at the same time, I know that, you know, there's so much that I don't know and won't know unless others enlighten me. And so what I hope too from the conversation is just how can we explore this with the community as well to at least like kind of make those markers of, okay, how can we continue to shape it towards what will more closely align with folks? So, if people are experiencing God through Sufjan Stevens and Towers, mm-hmm. all right, let's explore that too um, and kind of take it from there. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Um, Bomb says that music is created out of a cultural context, but while certain contexts need to twilight, not all of them do. Right. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Do you have any? I mean, definitely. I think that there's uh there's such a, a breadth to music and culture. And I think that some of it is very much worth our time and some of it maybe isn't. And that is all part of the discernment process that uh, goes into how do we explore that as Mission Hills specifically. Like yeah. a lot of what's interesting about like some of the mega churches that write music to, um, they're, hopefully writing for their specific congregation. And so what works for Hillsong is not going to work for our congregation. Even the better thing would be to write specifically out of our context and to kind of bring light to that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting point. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think um, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier and, um, you know, continuing to go deeper and, and be in process as a community while also realizing that um, we're not going to be able to check all the boxes. I think that there is just, you know, there's there's just a reality to to what you one group of people can do and express. And I think at least being aware of your context and trying to be as faithful as possible to the community gathered is is the best a community can do and to never stay stagnant in one place. Like this is what we've always done, or these are the songs that we've always sung um, is important with that. Okay. Let's move on. Bob has another question Uh, for centuries. Church and pop culture have been influencing each other. We talked a little bit about that. Um, And then he mentions Martin Luther hijacked a popular bar tune when he wrote a mighty fortress is our God. Um, And so I think Bob is hinting at uh, like in the seventies, there was like lean on me, um, where are we at as a congregation is much more it, the, as a congregation than much contemporary music. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with all that. Um, and I think to me that is also, um, hopefully as a community develops, um, the songs develop and also, you know, even potentially, um, you know, writing particular songs for a community. I don't know necessarily if we need to like, turn Taylor Swift songs in with different lyrics into Christian songs necessarily. Uh, But back to your other point, uh, you know, doing a Bob Marley song or something like that. I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And those can be, those can be used to, like you were saying, to leave people with a certain sense of wonder and reverence for, for life and for God. And I think if people in a worship experience are, are getting that from, from music, like that life is beautiful. Life is also tragic. And we, we get to experience this and the wonder and reverence of all of that. Um, if music is doing that, then it's probably good music. Yeah. I love that. Um, rather than, um, you know, trying to make something like, um, trying to force like around, um, but a round square into a, a square peg into a round hole. Is that the there same? Yep. You know, so th- there it is. Square peg, round hole. Um, maybe it works sometimes, but I feel like sometimes it could, it could also have that effect. Um, I don't know. Are, are there any other questions? Do we, do we get through all of them? You'd mentioned Josh's earlier, which I think is, um, is something really important to, to keep in mind is just like, how do you, how does Christianity and how does Mission Hills, um, you know, how are we faithful to, to our context and to not to make everything so white and um, to decenter all of that um, theology and music that tends to be centered around um, a sort of American Western male perspective. So I think that's, that's something uh, as a, any church community should be wrestling with that question, how to decenter all that. Yeah. Is there anything else I we want to get, we the get interesting, to? The only interesting one left is one of Laura's. So I, I also love just the comments that people have been raising. Um, it's like, is it good for us? Is worship good mm. for us? Um, and I think that it can be depends what you are expecting it will be and also how you're experiencing it where who is informing it right um 
someone else uh, texted and just kind of laid out how many different things worship can be kind of for our themes and even things like war, right. Come into the rhetoric of worship music. Yeah. And that was uh, Sal. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the other songs that I want to cancel is a song called whom shall I fear God of angel armies. And (laughs) yeah. 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 Needs to go away. But yeah, I think that like what I would just, more raise other questions to that question of, well, what are you expecting it to be? What are you hoping from it? And if you have Mm. certain expectations, then maybe it won't be because then it's going to lead towards that. Like, Oh, you're never going to be satisfied with what it might provide you. But. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that is an important, um, question for people to consider is, you know, to really do a personal inventory of what are my expectations in a liturgy or in a church gathering? What are my expectations for, um, for worship or what I'm going to get out of worship? That's a, that's a phrase, right? Uh, what did, what did you get out of it? Oh, I, you know, I really like, felt like, like, yeah, like the sermon, but the music. You know, not so much. Um, not my service. I know people who show up just for worship and then will leave. Like in those churches that you do like worship for an hour and then a sermon for an hour, I knew folks who'd come for the concert and then leave before the message. Like, same same thing at the mega church that I worked at. The same dynamic would happen. And they did it the same yeah. thing. It was like a block. You did the music and then you did, yeah. you know, so you could choose which one you wanted to. If you didn't want the music, you just come for the sermon. There you go. Um and again, how do how do we subvert the expectations of even that way of thinking in um, our sort of American Western mentality of what do I get from it? Yeah, I think it is healthy to say to examine what do I expect from worship, but then also to to hold space for other people. I mean that that is a, di- a different frame of mind when we approach church and worship is not what do I get from it, but like. What, what am I holding space for? Who am I holding space for? And why, yeah. and why do I belong to this community? I think is a more healthy way to, um, to maybe approach that. Definitely. That's good. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll close with the songs that we want to cancel since we're all about cancel culture. <laughs> okay. So my number two, you mentioned your number two was something about uh, a- angel yeah. armies. Who shall I fear? God of angel armies. All right. And to anybody listening still at this hour, you know, after an hour and a half, uh, if you're still listening, uh, I'm going to make a Spotify playlist. If you would like to go listen to all of these songs that we're trying to cancel. Okay. So my number two is God's not dead by the newsboys. Yes. I only have hate listened to this song. So I, yeah, so I don't really know this song, but I know that I hate it. So yeah, I, would, I would cancel that. And it was the title of a movie that I have not seen, this but I know. also true. Yeah, yeah, I have not seen that movie, but I didn't need to to know that it would be bad. But. I I would love to do uh, a film screening of that, like a like an outdoor movie night. But I wouldn't want people to get the wrong, like we would be watching it we would be hate watching it. Right. Right. We yeah. ironically be watching God's not dead, but I don't want, maybe we could just do it privately. I wouldn't want to publicize right. 
people yeah. get the wrong idea that we were yeah. seriously watching God's Not Dead. He's rolling <laughs> on the inside. Okay, you're number three. Um, these aren't necessarily in order, but the one on number three that I have is Revelation Song, mm. um, which is all about the thunderclouds and lightning of God's promise and worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's the first line. So you can only assume where it goes from there. <laughs> is that a old song or is that a contemporary? It's like an early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. Type deal. A lot of, a lot of the ones that I want to cancel are, I mean, outside of most of the hymns, right. um, I'm just going to put those all in a big old bucket. Um, and then the ones that I've specifically mentioned are all like nineties and early two thousands. So. Okay. Gotcha. Nice. Uh, who sang that one? Um, I knew it because Carrie Job sang it, uh, but I forget who the original okay. girl who was the writer. Nice. Okay. Uh, so I'm going old school for my number three pick. It's going to be nothing but the blood. Yes. I think that's a hymn. I'm not sure. We used to sing it in church. Um, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's yep. all. That's all you're going to get people. Um, it's ridiculous, right? Like nothing but the blood. Really? That's it. Nothing yeah. else. That's all we're going to focus on. Just the blood. hundred uh, percent. I love the blood. Dr- Dracula. Yeah. Dracula. Or what vampire Christians? Is that what, is that a thing? Right? I don't know. Yeah. 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 We'll call it good. All right. So um, that's my number three. One of them that I have, uh, and people might hate me forever. Um, it is the rewrite. So it's not just the original, but also the rewrite. Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. The Chris Tomlin added version. I love it. Hot take. Because he decided, right, wasn't good enough that we're, you know, also like there's a ton of ableism in Christian music, like Ooh. so much yeah. that really has to go. Um, so the whole like we have to be healed from a disability whether it's like i was blind but now i see like all of these lyrics that are Uh, actually really harmful when you think about it long term or not long term grand scale that right sorry about it uh how does how does that one go can you give us a taste of like a line Uh, well the like the add-on is like my chains are gone yeah 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 yeah, i've been set free yeah Yeah. so fun Yeah, you got such a great voice. Okay, uh, so my number four pick is Onward Christian Soldiers. Oh. Yep. It has to be on there. has to it, be. Yeah, it's so bad. I don't even have to say anything. I can just read the title. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, retired. Oh, I wish I had like dug deep for these. I feel yeah. like I could come up with some some good old oldies. Um, no, you, your picks are good. My last one is Trading My Sorrows. I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but... Uh, I am. I am familiar, I think. It's very upbeat. It's a very strange song. Like, back. almost a little bit screamy. I'm trading my pain. Yeah, the lots of bass. Down, down. For the joy of the right, like, Yeah, everyone's got to hit the low notes. I just... It's such a... Like, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I should love this idea of yeah, like you should get rid of all the sorrow see yeah. ya trade in my but again, it's like, yeah ooh, ooh, questionable so yeah. uh what don't you like about that song 
What is your least favorite thing um, about it? It's the it's the disconnect. Let me bring up the lyrics real quick. So it's, li- it's lyrical, okay? Because I know it's, it's definitely not the melody, because that melody is fire. Fire. <laughs> um, it's the disconnect with like the bridge, where mm-hmm. it's talking about like. Um, Though the sorrow may last for the night, his joy oh, yeah, comes with yeah, the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, and the whole like the trading my sickness, trading my pain. Oh yeah, yeah. right. Like, yeah. and then the, the, I love it. They use exact words. I think it's either First Corinthians or Second Corinthians. I'm pressed but not crushed, persecuted not abandoned, Preach struck it, down but not destroyed. Amen. I'm blessed beyond the curse, for his promise will endure. And it's joy and strength. Like it's this whole like you have to suffer for your faith or else. Like and a lot of almost I would say like bordering on getting into like prosperity gospel uh, area. But yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great song. That takes me back. That was like a that was a total oh five, oh six camp song when I I was in high school. Oh man. Yeah. Uh and it's also, I mean, we, we anybody listening to this still knows that Christians are so good at suppressing and repressing any kind of like pain and sorrow. Like it's just like, it's that summed up in a song. Right. And it's like, I can almost imagine the person playing that song because it's an upbeat jam. Right. I can imagine the person writing or playing that song is like crying through it. You know, like I'm trading my focus. It's got to be faster. This is going to be a hit, but it hurts. It's got to be faster. It's got to be more upbeat, but I'm trading everything. It's like, just push it down and don't deal with your life. Okay. So my number five pick is the old rugged cross. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, There's a, I found on Spotify, there's a Brad Paisley version of that. That's awful. Andrea knows I hate Brad Paisley, but, uh, I don't like country music either, but that's another podcast. Um, but yeah, this song is, is really bad. There's a lot of atonement and just terrible theology in this song. Um, that, but it's one that's really popular. I don't know if it's cause it sounds country. I don't know who wrote it, but, um, it's sung a a lot in Texas, a lot, very very popular. Oh yeah. Um, there's something like I, you don't see it out here, but I don't know if you saw it very often in Illinois either. But in Texas, there's a very common phenomenon where uh, people that drive trucks they have uh, like stickers on the back of their trucks of a silhouette of a cowboy kneeling with their horse, yes, like at the foot of a cross. Yep. And there's something about the mythology of that that's always really bothered me about Texan and American Christianity. It's like I'm kneeling down at the cross. Yeah. I saw that on horse. suburban boys trucks that had the big old wheels for these little <laughs> suburban roads. Yeah. Like, but they usually also had the American flag, like sticking out of the back of the truck too. Just right. like full force. So yeah. In yeah. Texas, it's the combination of that and truck nuts. Good. Yeah. Good. Which yeah, I just, still do not. Really get ever understand. Yeah, just to get a real image of who you are as a your personality by the back of your car. So yeah, it's great. Um, All right. So do you have any final thoughts so that we don't have to end this podcast with the image of cup nuts? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the people who are still listening an hour five later, um, just that I hope that it brings up more 
questions. Like I, again, like what I was saying on Sunday, like it is, it has to be in process, like worship, like you said earlier, it can't be stagnant. You can't worship the way that you do in one season that you do in another. Um, And if you do, then there's something really wrong with how you're approaching worship, what you see the value of it. Um, And my hope is that we continue to just inch closer to finding a way to hold space for each other through avenues of worship, of art, of different expressions of art that we haven't yet explored. Um, There's so many things that we can, can do and don't have to do. Um, depending on where we're headed. So, yeah. Well, I think that is a great place to wrap it. And I'll just close by saying thank you, Kelly, for um, just sharing your gifts and your art and your life uh, with everybody at Mission Hills. It really is such a gift. And um, I want you to know that I appreciate it. And I know so many people out there listening and Mission Hills folks also appreciate it. So thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a gift, honestly to be with everyone and to continue to do life with folks. All right. Well, uh, be well, everybody, and we will see you on Sunday. Cheers. Cheers.